everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Cult Following from the people who bring you cult classics every month at Pollock Tempe Cinemas. I am one of your hosts today, Victor Marino, along with Kirby Nelson. Hey. <laughs> and as always, our third co-host and awesome engineer, Adam Rutkowski. Hello. Hello, everyone. That's in honor of our uh, next cult classic screen of Purple Rain. <laughs> yeah, that was the Prince puppet. So, if you've seen Purple Rain, you know Prince has this like cone puppet, and I can't tell if it's a monkey or a vampire. So, if somebody can tell me that for real, what he that is. He has a is. what? He has a little like cone when he's in the dressing room, and the little puppet pops out of his cone. Yeah. He's like, I'm talking to you, Prince. Right. Is that a vampire or a monkey? Well, there's different types of things. I've mostly seen them as uh, clowns. Ah. We should, we should probably ask Charlie Murphy to get a guaranteed response on that. And we would also have pancakes. So, uh, as always, we've been enjoying films, being we are a film podcast. And, you know, we just had a great screening of The Road Warrior with our cult classics uh, project this weekend and to this week uh we're going to talk a little bit about uh remakes that work so that'll be the meat of our discussion what what are some awesome remakes that actually work as opposed to stuff from platinum dunes which never works platinum dunes the devil brought to you by platinum dunes and also we're also going to go over some movies that we saw this week and what's going on in our lives in the wild wild world of cinema so adam so victor so kirby yes <laughs> kirby what are some movies you saw this week you'd like to tell us about mm, i only caught up on a few things i've got a lot of pre-orders coming in that i'm excited about pre-orders you say yes pre-orders there's so many i'm pretty sure at least half of my amazon list is pre-orders but um I am catching up on a few things here and there. I did do uh, step back into the realm of blind buys uh, a little too much Uh-oh. again. But I did have one that delivered not perfectly, but enjoyed it enough, uh, which was a uh, which was late phases. That's a vampire movie, yeah. is it not? Actually, werewolf. Werewolf, and it's That's a right. um, one of the two. It's kind of. It's definitely. Oh, if see you the phases, yes, ah. late phases of the moon. I should. I think they on gave that. it. Um, that was the original title, and I want to say it's like Night of the Lone Wolf or something like that. Is now the new more broad title or larger font on the oh, cover. I but don't like when they do the renaming of the film for video to trick yeah. you into thinking it's something else. See also. Uh, live die repeat slash edge of tomorrow yes and they they did do um i it's probably more for that like people were like late phases what what like you know just see no if idea. i saw night of the lone wolf i would think it was a spinoff of the hangover with zach galifianakis or something that's true <laughs> I would also think probably like some kind of Tarantino Kill Bill kind of movie trying to take off on, you know, and numerous so Japanese classics. But it actually, it's a uh, about a blind veteran that moves into a uh, retirement community and it goes very quickly like as opposed to a major buildup. I mean, you know, like the attack happens the first night and then that's how the premise works is that the attack happens the first night and then has to wait for the whole month till the next full moon so definitely going on the lunar cycle but it um it ended up actually being enjoyable it's got a you know it's very comedic and stuff it reminds me a lot uh definitely of uh silver bullet um and american world in london in the horror comedy aspect silver but, bullet that's a movie that like i think gets uh forgotten about a lot yeah it's it's one of one of the ones that i mean i love silver bullet because i grew up on it i i love the original cycle of the werewolf story by stephen king mm-hmm. i wish it had been a little bit more like that but i thought they did a few good key scenes i wish the kite scene the way it was written in the book was in the movie that way um the jay chataway score um to silver bowl is one of my favorites especially that main theme did, did you ever uh run across the graphic novel version well i have the the version if i have the one that's the text the actual written book but has the bernie wrightson 
um, things, but I don't actually have any copy of a straight graphic adaption unless that was more recent. No, well, that was... Uh, Around the time? It, no, it was a little bit after that. I want to say maybe 88, 89. Because mm. what was had, Silver Bullet? Like 85? 85. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, I mean, it was a few years the later. The last sane Gary Busey film ever made. That's also yeah. notable <laughs> on that one. Pre-motorcycle pre Pre-PC. But I, I have not thought about that graphic novel in... I had the Creepshow Edition. one was my favorite. I loved mm. that one more than... In fact, I got the uh, graphic novel before I even saw the the uh, film. That was definitely one of my first love affairs with with horror was definitely um, that Creepshow graphic novel. I was just blown away by the art in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, late phases, it's enjoyable. It's, it's definitely got a little bit of the Silver Bullet feel in terms of there's a mystery. You get some red herrings kind of stuff but it ended up working a very unique werewolf design it is a suit um mix of suit and cgi and stuff so practical effects but when did it come out it worked i believe i don't know when it was shot but it came out vod last year limited theatrical i believe but um not too bad and then the only other one I've caught up with is uh, I did get in my uh, Criterion collection of Watership Down. Mm. I know it may come as a surprise, but I love that film as a kid. And after watching it again, having not seen it in many, many years, there's part nostalgia, but uh, it is... You know, it's a it's a heroic journey. It's a it's a um, creator legend. It's a mythos kind of thing in a way, but it is a uh, I mean, it is one dark dark story. Mm, yeah, when you really is. think, I mean, it is it is a harsh movie. Um, it was a passion project for the guy directed. I haven't watched. I haven't mowed through all the supplementals yet, but I mean, beautifully restored. Definitely, I can't recommend it enough. <laughs> so, and what have you caught up on lately, Adam? Oh, well, I got a couple of things I might trample all over yours, Victor. Uh, oh, I uh, well, there uh, there were a couple of things that I, I was catching up on Netflix. I'm going to start with those. Have you heard of Stretch? The it has, limousine It has Patrick adventure. Nelson in it, right? Or Patrick Wilson, right? From, yes. Yeah. Yes. Watchman guy. Yeah. What else is he? He was in some TV show. He was show in Hard Candy. Or Hard Candy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. I, I watched it from beginning to end. I'll give it that. I know what it was trying to do. It had a lot of little cameos from uh, Ray Liotta, David Hasselhoff. Um, and th- there was kind of like a just like one of those feels of they're trying to do like an ensemble adventure cast, like, a, you know, the misadventures of so-and-so just trying to get through the night. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of does the play-by-play of what you'd expect from it from beginning to end but it was pretty enjoyable i mean definitely not like the the best of that type of film that i've seen you know like lucky number 11 or you know snatch or anything like that but still kind of in that same yeah universe sort of thing um so i mean i'd, I'd recommend it it's worth seeing uh, i've been watching danger five have you heard of that yeah, tv the show australian the australian TV show. show it's good um it's just, it reminds me of if you took like a live action Venture Brothers, yeah, um, that's that's a lot. What it's mixed like in with a live action version of of Team America, mm-hmm. hmm. uh, done Australian style. But yeah. yet again, there I, I I didn't hear an Australian accent in it because they kind of mix they in. They dub over everything. Yeah, they dub over all the voices yeah. and and that sort of stuff. But that's they a lot go of fun. for and closed captioning like everything else now. No, it's overdub like how when you watch like uh, spy movies. Oh, full from on, the yeah, like the, yeah, Oh, I yeah. get what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if it's like you know the the um, you know like super fuzz or something when they want to get rid of like the real thick italian oh, actor yeah. voices and stuff they yeah, put yeah, it yeah. like the American yeah it goes ones. very much into like kind of aping that look yeah uh, and i don't care now. about the i haven't seen it yet yeah. so but that i hear what you're saying before. total camp a lot of fun uh let's see i watched a documentary called all this mayhem about the papa's brothers the the skateboarders oh uh, i started I watching that, that. Yeah, I, so did I. yeah I, 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 and it was kind of run of the mill yeah i kind of yeah, I didn't I've really seen, know much about that. I, I hate to say it, but I, I kind of think that Stacy Peralta's like documentaries have kind of like set the bar pretty high for me at this point, like the Bones Brigade mm-hmm. and Lords of Dogtown. Yeah. So, like, I was watching them, like it wasn't grabbing me. Right. It, it kind of felt like a, a Dateline NBC kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. I watched the really uh, Christian Hasoy one a while ago, yeah, and I that, saw that one, one was too. not 
I mean, it was good. I mean, he's definitely, it's not like a gator kind of yeah. rise and fall, but right. it was a, you know, I mean, it, it, they're just the style and stuff. Just, yeah, it's not, I agree with Victor. It's not to yeah. the quality. I, like, I saw the Christian Hosoi one too. I kind of thought it could have been shorter. I, I, like, I don't think he, he had enough arc to me personally. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they captured his story pretty well in documenting the feud between him and Tony Hawk being kind of like an extension of the Tony Alva versus Stacy Peralta feud mm-hmm. in the Bones Brigade. Yeah. See, and I just thought like that sort of stuff was more of kind of like nostalgia for me, like mm-hmm. watching it, seeing those clips again, because during that time I was just a huge fan of, of skateboarding in general. Yeah. The yeah. Papa's brothers were there. They were the same. They were, they are the, they are the same age as me. But they didn't start really shining until all the uh, the the X Games and everything, and that's yeah. when I was out of it. Like in the yeah. mid nineties, I really I really wasn't following skateboarding. That was before um, all that started. You know, with the, like the Bones Brigade when yeah. they were, you know initially starting out. Um, let's see uh, the oh, this is where I'm going to mention a couple that that Victor I know Victor has seen. Uh, last night we saw Insurgents um, and. The week before that, I saw What We Do in the Shadows. And I oh, yeah, that we you saw, saw both that of too. those. Um, and I can't give any more praise to, to What We Do in the Shadows. This so, is the New Zealand one, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, it's about a group of vampires that live in a house together and just try to get along and, and, and their you know, misadventures like and, and what they do. They're yeah, followed. It's, it's a mockumentary. It's, yeah, it's pretty much like... Like the, Spinal Tap. Like, yeah, like the real world, like the original real world would be if they were vam- if there were vampires. When people stop being polite. Yeah, pretty much. Real. It's exactly it's like, like that. Yeah. They have like, you know, they argue about who does the chores and stuff like that. Yeah. And um, it's a, like the storyline is very simple. I'm not going to give it away. I think you should really watch it. But yeah, it's well, it's uh, just all, the it's the characters. Yeah, are all exactly. really well yeah, rounded. It's good. Yeah, good character. You get the gist study. of it like right away, and then they just take you on this ride. Yeah, from beginning to end, and and you're just enthralled. Yeah, I think this the documentary structure works really well. I mean, I think we've all, at least being Americans for the most part, we're all like pretty much like keyed into that. It's like parks and recreation or the office where they're sort of speaking to the unseen narrators right breaking the fourth wall kind of thing yeah direct yeah you know like they talk to the narrators about their problems and that's the story structure Uh, so like it it feels like that but in a very fun new setting yeah confessional room yeah Yeah, not the room itself but no there are confessionals that's what i meant it was more like the office or the old real world yeah yeah that's good. I watched Housebound. I think I might have mentioned that on one of the last ones, but that's another New Zealand film. I have, you know, heard so much about it. It's on Netflix, and um, I know a lot of people didn't really like it, but I actually really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one worked. So, oh, and what, what the other one you saw was Insurgent from the Divergent series. Oh yeah, Insurgent. I was mm-hmm. saying Insurgents. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I didn't really care for the first one. Didn't really care for the second one. Uh, Don't just, lose just our kinda, tween audience know, here, Adam. No, that's fine. And they, I, they I, love the books and they love the films. And, and I think it's, if you've read the books, I think it's just ni- neat to see it on film. But I just thought it was kind of, you know, uh, beat by I thought beat, it was very, numbers. exactly. Yeah, I thought it was very predictable. I've seen better examples not, of yeah, that again, genre. I'm not going to spoil it for people who are planning on seeing that. But it, it's if you feel something is going to happen while you're watching it, a hundred percent it is going to happen right yeah um i will say one thing though about it that doesn't really necessarily give away any spoilers because it's something that's established right away and it's not something that i saw so much in the first one that kind of rubbed me the wrong way now with the male character four yeah still likes to be considered as four and then what's the tris tris yeah tris their relationship i just can't stand the reason being is number four is old enough to be her father no (laughs) he pushes her around pulls her around i mean it's 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 misogynistic um well it's this i mean i understand the twilight kind of i understand the protector thing Uh but when he goes and like grabs her arm when she's about to speak or say something really pissed me off yeah, I think there's also, like, a scene in there where he, like, picks her up and is, like, they're running behind an explosion. Mm-hmm. 
And I, the, the whole time I thought that is like there's a very similar scene in Guardians of the Galaxy where Groot picks up Rocket and there's an explosion <laughs> behind them. I must have and it's like I have, my whole thing with that is like I, I think the reason some of these young adult novels like or novelizations like um, Twilight and I, I would say more so di- uh, Divergent than The Hunger Games um pick up steam is kind of like they're like the new romance novels where it has like this sort of like very forceful man Mm -hmm. like walking this kind of ingenue girl through like a very like dramatic situation but she's still like a mary sue character like if you read the books on any of them it's like it's six pages of description of the guy and one paragraph about the girl. Well, the girl so is supposed your, to be, yeah. So you can put yourself in. So any the, the, the reader can put themselves in. But, I mean, the big part about it, too, is is that, I mean, it is definitely, you know, that, that romance and stuff. I mean, part of the reason people going, you know, why are all these shows so popular, all these television shows, you know, this, um, you know, and it's like because it's all you have your attractive cast. I mean, it does. I mean, there can be good writing on a lot of these shows, but ninety percent of them, it is an attract. There's either attractive male leads, yeah. most of the time, right. and then an attractive female lead, and all of it is just you can put yourself in there. And I mean, it's okay to have fantasy, but when it becomes you know very yeah. much the misogynistic, which has always yeah. been my problem with Twilight, is the whole thing of. Um, you know, women, you, you, you can't succeed unless you have a man. You cannot, um, you know, you cannot exist almost. And that was, I mean, that was, especially in the Twilight, I was like, strip, you cannot exist without this person. You can't live without them. Yeah. And that's, that's what made me so angry is because they've already, they already set up her character. I went into this film thinking she was going to be like Ripley and come in and just fuck everything up and, Mm -hmm. and do everything on her own and do everything that she wants in order to advance the plot but it just kept they just kept like you know holding her back and it was because of this this number four jackass mm-hmm. where i just wanted to punch him the whole time i didn't care about the bad guys i thought he was the bad guy well and because of those foreshadowing th- i'm sorry i'm getting on my soapbox no, no, now because i haven't even talked about any of this yet is that once he he started doing that sort of stuff i saw him more so as a bad guy than anybody else in the film and i thought they were setting up foreshadowing for things that were going to happen later Mm. with his character because they really made you know efforts to show how he was reining her back yeah i mean i kind of thought that wouldn't happen just by the fact that they just the way that the characters define like his name is four because he only has four fears he can't get over and then the last that first movie is that really it yeah that's why his name is four (laughs) in the first movie they bring him through he has four fears that he can't overcome and one of them of course is killing an innocent to make him relatable but also they spend a lot of time going through the other love no fear of confinement is one that's close commitment (laughs) right but like then in this movie they spend a lot of time going over how abused he is and it's like it's a broken puppy syndrome like oh my gosh i have to fix him type thing and that's another key component yeah it's it's something you see in these all the time because yeah i mean i'm not defending it it's just like a trope you see but but i've seen it better in other oh yeah there's so many things here that like I, i kept pointing out would be better ex like you know for all the i mean the hunger games i feel holds up as a real movie mm-hmm. like i feel katniss has agency and she has her whiny moments but at the same time i think she's like it's a watchable movie right you know if especially she's still, she's still very strong yeah i don't and, and that's my whole herself. thing that i don't i've watched both of these now divergent and insurgent and i don't think tris is a strong character mm-hmm. it, and there's like MacGuffins out the wazoo to try to make her seem yeah you know i was pointing out that like she's basically like neo you know but right. she's not she doesn't have the range of like you know keanu reeves right yeah something's just god that is probably the most vicious insult you've mobbed (laughs) on this show yeah Yeah. or gravitas yeah and like i said i'm not trying to spoil it but like i me watching this like i can't see how people would get behind that but that could just be a generational divide she just seems like an entitled character to me so well that's why i said like people maybe who read the book yeah they just they want to see it on the screen and that's where they're relating to i it. enjoyed the the hunger games enough i just saw the mockingjay part one um better than i expected i've never really <laughs> read the books or kept up much with that series um all i remember seeing the first one because a friend wanted to go and 
I was like, yeah, let's kill some kids. It's going to be awesome, like Battle Royale <laughs> style. Um, well, yeah, I, um, I remember when we when the Hunger the first Hunger Games was coming out, we showed Battle Royale the same day it came out. Yep, for I remember classics. that. Yeah. Like, when they ran articles, like, oh, so do you think it's going to be a ripoff? I'm like, no, we're just, you know, well, even, I mean, it drawing has, the conclusion. It has those elements, too. I mean, of all the classic, you know, Lore of the Flies, you know, all the... the um, films that and books and stuff that have embodied that that ideal but i really um um i actually did like i saw the maze runner uh, late last year and i was really surprised by that one that one was completely unexpected to me to actually be enjoyable Mm -hmm. so i look forward to the second one coming out um just you know not perfect but that one had enough twists and turns and stuff and really had that um um you know a little bit more mystery and excitement than i expected so yeah same yeah mm-hmm. so did you guys go see a sneak preview of that or was that one just came out no we were doing a promotion with cult classics to um you know how we, were, we did with fury road where we were giving away um advanced passes so um i got i got a couple just for running it and then Anne won two from the twitter contest and that's how adam got to go with her yeah yeah and then hopefully we'll have more giveaways like that because I think you know it's a different way of engaging our audience. You True. know, yeah, I thought that was great with the the Fury Road when they came. Oh yeah, that was everyone really enjoyed that. Yeah, that was good. I think that was a solid screening all around. And now, um, as far as movies, I've been watching. Um, I've I've been catching up on some stuff that we've been talking about and some of the Academy Awards stuff. Um, I saw the Scribbler. Mm-hmm. Um. I guess I can see, like, it reminds me of a lot of movies. It's, like, a lot like Sucker Punch, a lot like The Crow. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, I didn't even think of The Crow. It's very heavily yeah, The can, Crow. Yeah, you can see that. Yeah. yeah um, well, see, that's Dan Schaefer, though. Like, all of, a lot of his stuff is, Yeah. you know, it's kind of that um, pulp punk goth sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, I can kind of see that. I, I mean, I, I, I feel like, this is a movie that might have been like better on a bigger budget, you know, but they get good performances out of the people there. Yeah. Um, Katie Cassidy plays the main character and she does a good job. Um, she, she plays black canary on arrow and I, she's, uh, the friend of the daughter who gets taken mm-hmm. in the first taken, like Liam Neeson finds her corpse. Oh, and, um, and then Garrett Dillahunt is really good in it. He's, yeah. uh, I forget what his character's name was, but uh, yeah, it was an interesting movie. Yeah, and I saw Saint Vincent, which it, I kind of did. Did Bill Murray get nominated for anything for that movie? I think maybe for like one thing, I saw him. I don't know what it was. If it was yeah. Golden Globes, yeah, or, or he should have gotten some kind of like best supporting or best actor nomination. Yeah, I know for he was that up for movie. Um, I also thought. Uh, yeah, I thought that was a solid movie, and it went back to something I had said about um, Melissa McCarthy. How we were, say- I was saying before, she only plays like these kind of like fat caricature characters. Mm-hmm. So it was nice seeing her play like a real person for a so change. So what? What is Saint Vincent? I have, I, I really don't know anything about um, it other than the poster. So basically, really. uh, Bill Murray, like he plays a man named Vincent McKenna, and he's kind of like down on his luck. Like he owes bookies a lot of money one of the bookies is played by terrence howard um and then these neighbors move in next door and it's uh melissa mccarthy and her son i don't remember the kid's name it's jared something but um he's gonna end up being hopefully if he doesn't if his parents manage his career right a really good actor he's carries most of this movie Mm. Really good, not obnoxious kid actor. He like interacts with Bill Murray most of the movie, and they have like a good back and forth, you know. And Bill Murray's kind of like he's a little bit like Royal Tannenbaum and the Royal Tannenbaums, where mm-hmm. like he he starts watching the kid, but he takes him out to like horse racing and to bars, and he gives him beer, you know. And it's kind of like about the movie is mainly about their relationship, oh, okay? You know, so it's pretty. It's it's a good movie. You know, it's a little, nice little indie movie, and you know, Bill Murray just likes doing those. And so it's a, it's pretty much like a Bill Murray tone. Yeah, it's 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 not like yeah. broken flowers. Yes, almost. it's it's a lot like that. Yeah. Okay. Like and, a Jarmusch kind yeah. of thing. And then um, I saw Whiplash, which I so I gotta say, like out of all the movies that were nominated for Best Picture, I kind of think that one probably should have won. 
Well, J.K. Simmons like won every yeah, he best won, actor yeah. no, that he, was out there. He's really good, but he the it's the movie is basically about he's an abusive jazz professor at a conservatory and what his actions do to a kid who's trying to be like a buddy rich like charlie parker kind of jazz Mm -hmm. drummer um and he's played by miles teller who's also in divergent he's the obnoxious guy peter oh okay yep yeah and that guy's a solid actor he's gonna go on to do a lot of good stuff because he's super good in whiplash and he's like he like steals everything he's in in divergent right yeah that was the most audience reaction yeah every time he opened his mouth it has a, a weird, I don't know, you guys should see it and then we can talk about the ending. It's very interesting. I'd like to see what you guys think. So I was, I was under the impression that Whiplash was kind of like a Hoop Dreams kind of thing. Um, it's or like a Hoosiers or one of those or, or Mr. Holland's Opus, but it's not. No. Okay. It is not. It's on the darker side it of is life. A, it is a very dark, dark movie. Okay. You know, but yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, yeah, I've heard that one and um, a lot of people say, you know, uh, especially since it was all synonymous the fox catcher or i saw fox catcher too that was my have that that same kind of spirit or energy yeah isn't that isn't that like a gymnast team or something Uh, wrestling uh, wrestling yeah it's uh it has a is that steve carell steve carell plays um uh, i forget what his first name is dupont he's like the Mm -hmm. he's a real guy and it's basically the story of how um he started this wrestling team in pittsburgh and he has a really complicated relationship with his mother where he never got approval so he finds a sort of like surrogate son in this struggling wrestler played by channing tatum and he has a a weird relationship with his brother who's played by mark ruffalo so it's a lot of like character pieces in there and like steve carell is like he's just like this really weird sociopathic kind of character that is it's just interesting watching where he goes with it like now am i am i wrong in saying that this film was also um in the same camp as the interview as far as like being postponed no, 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 no. Or am I thinking of a different film? You're probably thinking of a different movie. This came out last... It was also nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. I just remember... Maybe it was just the fact that they didn't want to release any movies at that time. And maybe it was the same studio. Yeah, I don't remember the studio that released it. But yeah, right. I, I, don't know, I would... Regardless. I, yeah, I would recommend both of those movies. And then a few other things I saw. Um, I saw this one um, horror film. It was called Honeymoon. And as a chick who plays Ygre in uh, Game of Thrones, and the guy who plays Frankenstein, Victor Frankenstein in Penny Dreadful, and they're like, um, like a couple going on their honeymoon, and they go to a cabin in the woods, and cabin in the woods, pretty uh, much exactly, yeah, cabin thinking, in the woods, yeah, something, yeah, she goes out in the woods, something happens, but then it, it has some interesting twists that like are not the exact riff you would think. Um, very is watchable. Out or is that on VOD? It's on Netflix. Oh wow! Hmm. Yeah, so yeah, it was out on VOD, and I, I saw a ton of horror movies like the past week on Netflix. But I swear to God, like <laughs> they're like all every. I feel so much stuff out right now is like super forgettable. It's kind of. What's funny when you were talking about the one? Um, we were talking about the the skating documentary. I, I was like, you know, it's another. I I start so much on Netflix, and I just can't finish. It's just some I, i'll start it and i i just can't enjoy i did catch dead snow too though and that was a lot of fun but the only thing i've really been watching on netflix besides the documentaries is um since i don't have cable or any of it uh i've been catching up on the last couple seasons i think it is of the boondocks the which, last season of the boondocks is terrible yeah it wasn't i was sincerely uh disappointed there's some great bits but overall it doesn't have anywhere near the quality well, of the Well, it's because they season. fired Aaron McGruder yeah. as a showrunner. Actually, one of the things I saw last week, if you want to see the kind of impact something like that has, there's a documentary that's on Netflix now called Harmontown. And it's about Dan Harmon and the comedy tour he goes on after he's fired from being the showrunner of Community. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely... I've, I've always been, for like last few years, a huge Boondocks fan. I never watched the... Uh, or read the strip too much when it, even when it was in syndication, out of syndication. It's just... There's something I think a lot of people, you know, focus obviously heavily on the, the racial and socioeconomic topics discussed and, and focused on. But I also think it's just an excellent um, 
childhood kind of show like i think magruder's original ideal and thing is uh, is huey and and riley are both really um you know feeling their way out and stuff and there's some great like actual like heart really heartfelt ideas in it that i enjoy a ton what season are they on now fourth it's the last fourth, season the last oh season. that's it yeah yeah like, Seems like it's been around a lot longer well the thing like- is they kept giving him big breaks between seasons and last when they were like we're ready for a season and he was developing this new show that just finished his first season called the adventures of black jesus mm-hmm. so they just fired him and then they did a whole season and it every episode was so terrible because all i remember is didn't they 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 kind of they either played it like after or before like the venture brothers yeah so that's really my association with it, and I kind of got in the Venture Brothers maybe in like season two or three. Yeah, kind of well, late on like the game. The Venture I remember Brothers where they only have one season like every two years, and I, right. get, I think the but they're already on like seven now, aren't they? Or eight? No, seven, season five, five just ended. Four? So season six okay. is going to start, I think, in the summer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know. But yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much the gist of it. Well, that. apparently yeah. it seems like Cartoon Network Adult Swim currently have a lot of issues with that. So, I'm not by any means any kind of expert from all the articles I read though. It sounds like definitely a lot of shakeup with um creator owned properties and how they want to market things and do things. I mean, the Boondocks, they in air several episodes and I got to say the the one they didn't the probably the most famous one of them was the um the return of the king the martin luther king jr episode which is incredibly powerful and uh and really really thought-provoking and mm-hmm. i wish they you know that's one thankfully it's been it's available but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah that well that's that's what part of the reason fourth season of the boondocks is so bad is that they kind of went out of the way to not offend anybody like basically they made it really serialized where um you know the grandpa lost all his money and then there every episode is about them just trying to stay above water it's just bad and that's still a, a an adult swim production um what it is is i think they or is it syndicated through it, that, it's on it's adult kind of swim it's adult all, swim. all the seasons are on netflix now but like um yeah like pretty much aaron magruder hat was the head writer and showrunner for first three seasons right. So it was like very much his voice was on everything. I understand that, but yeah. what I'm saying, I if I don't know the last time that I watched anything related with Adult Swim, mm-hmm. like you know, recently, and though maybe the last year, a year and a half, yeah, other than Too Many Cooks, they do a lot of that <laughs> but, now. But like they have a lot of shows like Black Dynamite and a lot of yeah, uh, which I mean I really couldn't get into, but it's just surprising that and yeah, they're and, they're kind of taking a little more safer route with some of the. Uh, long-standing series popular series and it makes me wonder if they're just trying to draw in like you said if it's going to be safer is it going to draw in like a a different audience well i think that that's or is it just a a a big problem detriment to the to the writing changing so much i've always found a big problem with the cartoon network and and it's a lot of its audience um is is that I think it's, you know, it's supposed to be an open forum for, you know, um, you know, different ideas and out of outside the box. I hate using that phrase, but it totally is for animation and, mm-hmm. and things like that. And what it's become is, is that it's like a lot of like uh, the kind of like Nickelodeon. You know, I mean, there was always like, you know, your Ren and Stimpy that kind of really broke out first. And right. then they, you know, and then you had like SpongeBob. But I just find you know victor i know i've I've talked about this personally several times but i just find you know you have a very i can always see a very stereotypical fan in it and it's not that there isn't some really good stuff in there it just becomes like the whole it starts with i mean everything from whether it's cartoon network or nick or some of the other ones but like the i kind of consider it all in the space ghost uh you know down the line kind of over the last 15 years and some kids who've been completely raised in that and it's like instead of being like a truly unique subversive sense of humor it's become this it's almost a caricature of itself now well like, i mean that's the whole thing if you look at like um especially like the venture brothers like originally they had a lot of johnny quest characters were characters on the on the venture bros like yeah. dr zim and johnny quest and then they started making changes to them and like you know tbs or whoever was their parent was like we can't have that happen so like johnny quest um i think it started when they made johnny quest like a heroin addict (laughs) and um they ended up changing his name to action johnny and then dr zim became dr z you know and so they all kind of became their own universe but before that like if you look at season one of uh of venture brothers they kill ace bannon 
Mm-hmm. You know, but then they retcon it to be a character like Ace Bannon, but it's, you know, specifically the Ace Bannon from Johnny Quest. Right. Yeah. You know. The but, Ray Bannon. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah. It, but it is true. No, I mean, I, and it's, like I said, it's just one of those things where I just think people have gotten too much into instead of Korean stuff that's new or, or being interested. It's become like... I, I know, it's it's just like internet humor, like meme humor and stuff like that, or, yeah. or 4chan, Reddit kind of stuff. Well, and William Street, too, who like did a lot of those shows that are kind of... Yeah, I was going to bring that up, too. Yeah, like they're the ones who do Too Many Cooks and all those infomercials at right. 3 a.m. And I think a lot of it is like, well, it's just cheaper to hire actors and do it ourselves right. in Georgia than animate this and wait a year. Yeah. True, true. That makes sense. And that's probably the only thing that will keep it more interesting and fresh down the line is to step away from that. So who knows? Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's the thing when you look at projects like that, a lot of times creators bring their own voice to things. And I think, you know, as we segue, I think into the main topic for today, I mean, one of the, you know, we think of John Carpenter specifically, he's a guy who very much has an auteur's voice. And, um, most of the things we know him for have been remade by other people, you know, like Assault on Precinct 13, that got a bad remake. The Thing got a bad remake. Can you call it a remake? Well, that's where I was going. I was trying to, you know, do the interesting segue. <laughs> you know. I tried. Yeah. But then if you look like where I was going with it is like, well, look at John Carpenter's The Thing, which was a remake of The Thing from Another Planet. Mm-hmm. And what I would argue is probably one of the only good remakes there are. You know, if you look at the original, the thing from, you know, Another World, it's, you know, it's an interesting, you know, movie for its time in 1950s. And they took kind of like core elements from that. And then they made, he made an original movie from that with a very, you know, iconic character in McCreary or McCready. And, um, you know, if you look at the thing remake slash reboot slash prequel from a few years ago. Is there anything iconic in that at all? Is it's just repackaging the same thing we already knew? Right. Well, I think the thing. I mean, the the, the thing of the thing, the thing and the thing. thing. Um, the thing is definitely. I mean, always. I mean, I, I, the first thing I I would preface to say is if you've been listening long enough. I mean, I think you know we're all pretty big horror film fans but i mean it's definitely my my true love is is horror and whenever you talk remakes and stuff you can get some very uh damn near fundamentalist kind of responses i mean and i would say whenever remakes are discussed i mean that's probably the big one that or 80s films i'll just leave that as a blanket like an 80s kind of era mm-hmm. um, and that's based on nostalgia but with horror movies i think the reason people get you know, it's just, it is partially, again, that nostalgia, that love of those films, but it's also that, you know, um, you know, it doesn't need to be remade. And it's like, well, sure, of course it doesn't. But I mean, you know, it, it's one of those things, like the thing is one, I'll just focus straight on there, is that, I mean, it's based on the novel Who Goes There. And the thing from another world is more uh, Howard Hawks' his own version of that novel, whereas you know the ideas in that book is what Carpenter took and some of the really dark places in his version. Obviously, I mean, you know, it came out the same time as E.T. It completely bombed. People eviscerated it. The critics and stuff, and even audiences weren't sure what to make of it, except for like the diehard fans. And it's. Um, you know, I mean, I'm pretty sure you had to have Fangoria subscription to truly love the thing at that time, um, because I just think it wasn't just this, the end, uh, sentiment of like E.T. and stuff and the friendly, lovable, huggable, snuggly Reese's Pieces eating alien. <laughs> it was also just the idea of, you know, um, that they needed, you know, something this in your face. I just don't think people were quite ready for. And that's why it resonates now. But there are other films. Uh, the other big one I would say that goes as a companion piece to the thing is The Fly. Yeah. Another film where people love to go, well, The Fly. I mean, Cronenberg made the perfect film. And it's like, you know, I like the original Fly and Return of the Fly. Yeah. They're oh, both yeah. great yeah. films. But it, it and it, I'm partially because my, uh, you know, I, I adore Vincent Price. But it's also one of those things where, you know, another one that's so in your face. I mean, that I don't think. And, and, and to understand both of the Thing and the Fly remakes were both mainstream films with serious studio backing. This yeah. isn't like a lost video store rental. Right. So, but, you know, it kind of comes and goes. But I think they're both great films. And I think the originals are good films. It's just one of those ones where. Yeah, but they made them. They, they, they stand alone. You know, when you think of the Fly and you think of the Thing, 
thing. Uh, then you have something that just kind of well, as you were speaking, I thought of of I Am Legend, mm-hmm. which is another one too. But you have like the the one with Will Smith. They've changed it so much to where it's it's just like a virus film, like a. a um, well, I don't know much about like the book. I don't know. Uh, well, I I have seen the the who was in the first one. Last Vincent Man on Price. Earth, Omega Man, and Panic, and um. Oh no, sorry, Last Man on Earth and Omega Man. Yeah, I've seen Charles both of those. Charleston Heston 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 is the most Man. memorable one for yeah. me. Price. Yeah, and Last Man on Earth is Price. I liked I like Last Man on Earth mainly because like you could really sense like the sense of despondency mm-hmm. that uh, Vincent Price's character had mm-hmm. in that situation. So specifically, I relate to I could relate to that, and he was really doing a good job of acting in like what well, was really kind of a small vehicle. It does have like that weird like Twilight Zone vibe right. to the whole yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Versus like you know, I am Legend, which you know, it's it's a Vil, it's a Will Smith like action vehicle. Like it's like I you know I Robot being a Will Smith movie still like infuriates me and the fact that alex <laughs> proyas had anything to do with that after like the crow or dark city still like boggles my mind yeah you know but i mean just to get something that to something that like kirby had said earlier i think part of the reason too that the thing and the fly both really work is because the people who they had remaking those movies were very much fans of like the source material mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um if you look at like uh especially like uh john carpenter's movies like big trouble in little china i mean obviously howard hawks is a big influence on him how he has like the really like assertive tough talking women and just dialogue driven even they live is like that and like you know it could there be like a better match for 80s cronenberg than the fly i mean this was the guy who is known for body horror yeah right you know True, true. Well, another big part, too, is that Carpenter, he he's a huge aficionado of Westerns. I mean, that's like his favorite genre. I mean, if you've read any of the any of his interviews or studies about him, and it's weird, you know, but he makes, he makes a lot of Westerns. I mean, the, the films you mentioned, Big Trouble, They Live, even The Thing, it's technically has a Western feel to it. And, oh, Ghosts of Mars. Yeah, yeah and oh, then there's yeah, Ghosts yeah, of Mars really? and stuff. That is a Western. Yeah, and then there's a lot of films. I mean, he's stepped outside of me of his boundaries and stuff several times, obviously, and he's made a lot of different kinds of films. But they always have that the, the auteur effect, as Victor mentioned, and it's um, and the influence and support. But I mean, I just, I mean, I could, I was thinking about going through kind of a mental list of both remakes I, you know, abhor and ones I adore. And I think that the one thing I've always tried with any remake, reimagining, reboot is I always, I give them all a fair shot. I've never not I, I I've watched them, and actually, there's plenty of people who go I've never watched that. I never even see it. And a lot of them were disappointing. And then mm-hmm. there's a few gems. I mean, there really is some stuff that works. And either because it's more of a reboot or because, um, you know, the actors or the effects or whatever it was. Or because some things, I mean, I think especially when it comes to 80s slashers, since so many of those have been remade, is it's like, I'm, I'm sorry, where was that deep, amazing story to begin <laughs> with? Like, yeah. people act like it was some pinnacle of screenwriting. And I'm like, like, I love the My Bloody Valentine remake the mm-hmm. in 3D. I thought it was super enjoyable. Like it, it's nothing great, but neither are most slashers. And another one I I will always defend, even though I love the original too in so many ways. I thought Hills Have Eyes, and this is where I'm going to play devil's advocate with the the Platinum Dunes kind of Lionsgate world of remakes. But that one I think worked as well. I think it was because it was so damn yeah. brutal and yeah, not in a cheesy creepy. way. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, you're getting into the double edged sword now. For That's like, true. For whatever reason, yeah. most most remakes tend to get into this like oh we can make this better by specifically putting on screen what you only had in your mind at the beginning that's true it's abandoning i can remember specifically going to the hills have eyes remake with a friend of mine and she had just like you know we you know she just had a daughter not that long ago and we ended up walking out of the movie because she started crying during the scene where um uh, the guy who's playing Michael Berryman's character, Pluto. Yeah, um, you know, or that whatever that mo- movie's version was, he might have had the spoiler same. alert. Yeah, um, 
he holds a gun up to a the ba- to a baby and specifically like on screen there while the mother's crying and makes her strip. I like that's one of the things like you can argue, oh that's so much more brutal, but at the same time I was thinking, did they really need to go there after everything else? Well, I don't mean like brutal I mean, and that could be like Al- and maybe that's in like an Alexander Aja thing because like you know the movie he had made right before then was like high tension where mm-hmm. he basically had you know an I spin on your grave type situation and you know he was very much known at that time for like I put women in gratuitous danger I think there's a lot of like good things in the Hills Have Eyes remake and that it feels original um it's all I'll get it's gonna segue into something I'm gonna talk about in a second it very much was borrowing a lot from the Dawn of the Dead remake a few years before that um which I feel is an excellent remake like it did the exact same thing where it had an interesting credits uh, score and an interesting soundtrack to go along with it. James Gunn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, James Gunn too as the writer. But like, and to me, like a lot of people went into Hills Have Eyes thinking just from the marking, oh, this is going to be like the Dawn of the Dead remake where they just make it contemporary and then they just i felt they kind of went in directions they didn't need to go to i can tell a lot of people probably won't agree with what i'm saying but i feel judicious editing would have made that a better movie well i agree because i'm a huge fan of the greek method i like atmosphere over action a lot of the times Mm -hmm. but there is and it's not when i said brutal i because it's such an overused word especially if you love death metal as much as i do (laughs) but it is one of those things where the original film is absolutely vicious i mean it just it doesn't really let up ever there are is a lot more left to the viewer's imagination or or you know what formulates in their head but i mean watching the original again i got that uh about the same time the um the two disc anchor bay special edition of the original film yeah um on dvd by the way don't ever buy the blu-ray of that version it's it's horrendous but um it is a um you know i i was surprised at how having not seen it many many years i mean it really goes for the juggler and most of the ideas are still in there and a lot more executed on screen no pun intended is, it, is that craven's first film no, no he did uh, last house yeah he had done a few I another mean, movie that had a not a great remake yeah that one i i can say i wasn't a huge fan of but i mean dawn of the dead is a great one and there's another one where that i was trying to lend to the point is that you know you have such rigorous defenders of the faith and you know they're just like i can't you cannot you cannot enjoy this movie and i was like but i did so what's the problem yeah. i mean if the most people say i just wish it hadn't been called dawn of the dead well i mean here's the they, they, Zack snyder and james gunn did something really smart with a dawn of the dead remake the dawn of the dead remake is not a horror movie it's an action movie they take the exact same scenario and like for the most part these people who are trying to get away from a zombie apocalypse and they find a mall to, to hole up at you know and then there's the kind of they do they have the character study where these people are living in the mall you know and then one of the people is obviously bid and then what are they going to do maybe we should just escape they cut out a lot of stuff that works in the terms of social commentary from romero's version like the raiders and uh, you know a lot it, they're very different movies it just pretty much just borrows the premise and goes somewhere different with it and james gunn to his credit i feel was smart enough and has seen enough horror movies that he's like wouldn't it be cool if zombie like lucio fulci zombie literally was the sequel to dawn of the dead because that's what happens at the end of the dawn of the dead remake they go to the island from from fulci zombie <laughs> And I, that's one of the things I like about it. But for the most part, I like that it's an action movie. It, 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 like, I feel like Romero, I don't think, likes it. But like it even borrowed the idea that was floating around. Like, oh, let's make a monster truck to kind of escape the mall, the Dead Reckoning, which ended up being in Land of the Dead, which is also an action movie and not a horror movie. Mm-hmm. And not that good, I might add. Right. Well, yeah, but that's, I mean, and that's a great point about action movies and stuff in that horror has largely i mean you can say that's the effect in the past of aliens and stuff like that and it's also the um a lot of the films now it's just very much on 
you know, nonstop action. I mean, a lot of people, zombies, vampires, werewolves, I mean, the underworld, Van Helsing kind of effect. Mm-hmm. Um, as I know, we talked about that when we were discussing Dracula Untold or I, Fra- I right. Frankenstein. Yeah. yeah. And it's, but it's true. I mean, and a lot of people, and that's go, does um, speak well to that uh, point you made about, you know, people being overblown with, oh, everything's got to be nonstop and it's got to be. You know, it's got to go to 11. And it's like, and sometimes it's to its detriment. But for certain properties, especially I think the slasher ones, it works well. Yeah. And then there's some stuff like. Well, yeah. No, go ahead, man. I think one of the the problems, I think good remakes, I feel, take the premise of a movie and do something interesting with it. They don't like recreate scenes from the original. Like Like Psycho. Yeah, Psycho, which was a shot-for-shot remake and didn't work because at that point the movie was pretty much soulless. But, like, I guess Dawn of the Dead is kind, was kind of its own remake. The thing, it's kind of its own remake. It's its own movie. It doesn't... Right. You don't need to see the original. I think uh, there's a list of movies in my head I can go into that, like, oh, this, this is what I mean by Platinum Dunes because they do this a lot with their Texas Chainsaw remake, with their Friday the 13th remake, with their Nightmare on Elm Street remake, they're like, let's explore the backstory of this and make this the whole, you know, thing of the movie. The only one I feel kind of survive unscathed from that for the most part was Friday the 13th, which I feel was a pretty solid remake for the most part because in my eyes, every Friday the 13th movie is basically a remake. True, that's what I would argue yeah. as well. And, um... But Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that was a movie that I'm talking about the one with Arlie Ermey. Um, yeah, the 2003. Yeah, I thought that was, for the most part, a pretty good remake. Like, for the most, it had really good marketing. Like, the trailer for the Texas Chainsaw 2003 remake, that is a haunting trailer. It's so good. Whoever did that trailer should have won awards up the wazoo and um i like the idea of making the whole family kind of like monsters again and it felt very contemporary but at the same time i think it was supposed to have been set in the past still yeah it was it was a uh, vietnam draft yeah, yeah yeah and uh i think the only mistake they made and i think this is where platinum is like at the end we're like oh let's cut off uh leatherface's arm you know because they had to give uh you know jessica beale some kind of like victory and that screwed them up because that meant the next and they killed off a lot of the interesting you know new family they introduced because that put them in the trap of making the sequel a prequel which was terrible yeah there was i mean it's one of those ones i do like i like the beginning the texas chainsaw massacre the beginning the one that came right after that one or 2005 2006 you know but also because that one just felt like it was theatrically released but it felt like a straight to dv straight to video kind of release in a way but um there was a series of um comics i'm trying to remember i think it was wildstorm who did them a lot of graphic novels mm-hmm. based on all those properties friday the 13th nightmare i think Texas that was Chainsaw. i think that was polito that was wasn't that chaos Pol- polito did some of them yeah. um there was we'll also ask him later. yeah there was there was some there was those there was also some other series and stuff um you know but there was some great ones and stuff like that obviously like the uh freddy versus jason versus ash and mm-hmm. stuff yep. and a lot of those comics those are the best some of the best friday the 13th um nightmare on elm street and uh texas chainsaw stories i ever read and that would made have made all, better movies than any of these remakes um and they like one shot series a like lot of, five yeah, or six yeah it would be like some one shot series and stuff some were independent you know you may have three issues per story or whatever and then collect into one trade but gotcha. it just it worked i mean a lot of those stories do and that's i think what's so it's kind of like uh kind of mentioned we all kind of have in a way is it's like if what the heart of it is that when people make arguments about remakes they go why can't you just come up with original ideas why can't you just try something new and i think the thing is is like i'm not gonna try to be the corporate defender here but i mean it's like people do try new ideas it's just a lot of them fail i mean there's only so many was they believe well, five, yeah, six and it stories. all comes down to like money, money for money, the most money. part i mean you can make a passion project you can make some kind of um, you know, something you really, really want to do. And I mean, but usually it has to be on the lower end. And a lot of people are, and that's why VOD well, and I Netflix mean, ha- and stuff you, are successful. Have any of you guys heard of a movie called Banshee Chapter? 
No. Mm-mm. Um, you can watch it on Netflix right now. It's it came out a couple years ago. It's a Magnolia movie. It's a remake of From Beyond. Hmm. What? Yeah. Would you have known that otherwise? I found that out after the fact. I mean, so there you can take it to an extreme level like that, where it's like, there's a movie right now. Somebody remade what From did they, Beyond. They did it uh, after like the the Stuart, Stuart Gordon. Like it's premise? based on I mean, the H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah, movie. but I mean, the, you know, and like how Stewart just kind of goes with his own ideas and then you know fleshes it out. Yeah, fleshes it out. Right, is right. The See, ideal that's what word I was trying. To, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Little, little, little buzzwords there. Yeah, it's not. A, it doesn't riff Hashtag. off the Stuart Gordon movie at all. It's like this great whole, title. Yeah, I never would have known. That, that sounds like my my middle school punk band. <laughs> What's up? We're Banshee Chapter. Yeah. <laughs> But um, for the most part, um, like I said, there's a lot of different ways you can go towards, uh, you know, taking the same property and finding a new eyes for it. I mean, I was talking about the 2003 one. There was a remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre two years ago, which decided to go the route of like, no, we're going to be a sequel that ignores every other sequel that there was, Mm -hmm. even though the math does not add up. And I found that movie watchable would i say it was worth following with more sequels not so much well see and that's where i was i was kind of formulated where i was going to step in here and i think that's that's a good spot then you have kind of the the reboot sort of thing or like the reimagining and we talked about it either last episode or the episode before that then just real quick spider-man yeah you know or or like the punisher or something like that they they try to like redo it it's not a it's not necessarily a sequel yeah but now they they call it a reboot they're well, reimagining or something to that effect and it's it's just kind of weird well i mean the biggest to me. I mean, to me the biggest offender in that is our superman movies that oh yeah it's, you know, because a few years ago there was Superman Returns, which was supposed to be and a I, reboot. And I, well, I, but at the same time, I really appreciated what they were trying to do there. Where, it, yeah, it was trying to reboot it, but at the same time, they were taking what happened from, well, I don't even know if they even recognize the Quest for Peace. You could no, probably take a, it from it's like a a Superman reboot, 2. And it's a reboot, and it's a sequel of Superman 2. Right. And that's yeah, and that's what I mean. then they were trying to figure out why didn't this movie work? But then at the same time, there's all these people who for years have been like, Why don't they just do a Superman movie that isn't an origin story? And then we just had ten a ten year long Smallville show, and then the next movie right. ended up being another origin story. Right. You know, at a certain point there's audience fatigue. Uh, from what I've read, uh, according to, you know, as we all know that I guess the next Spider-Man movie is going to be under Marvel's purview. It's not going to be an origin story. He's going to show up either in Captain America or Avengers. Right. And Spider-Man will have been existing. We just right. haven't been following his adventures because yeah. we've been following the Avengers. Which is smart. I'm totally fine with that. I think one of the best re- reasons that Spider-Man 2 is the best Spider-Man movie. The I, Sam Raimi. Yes. Yep. That I think the only reason people... I, I, I would be hard pressed to find someone who would argue against me. Pat Oswald even thinks that's the best superhero movie ever mm-hmm. made. Mm-hmm. But Spider-Man Two is the, does the best job of any movie I've ever seen. The, no, the the Edward Norton Hulk movie does this too, where they give you his origin during the credits. Spider-Man Two does it by giving it to you in a comic book shaped like a web, and it's all scenes from the first movie painted by Alex Ross. Yeah. I thought when I remember when I saw it, I was like, "This is yeah, the most that's, that's clever that's really thing cool. yeah. I've ever seen." One of these movies do. Thank God I don't have to watch. Well, you're talking also Mil- 70, 80 years for some of these. You know, Superman, Batman, Spider Man. I mean, all have at least fifty years, a half century in the popular culture psyche. I mean, it's like, can we please like like people don't know these? I mean, these have become modern fairy tales. Modern, yeah. um, you know. I mean. Uh, people know these so well that it's like there isn't a point. And that's why I think people got so sick of Spider-Man. I, I, but, I mean, comic books, the problem, too, is that, I mean, I'm not nearly, um, I do not keep up. I'm Victor's definitely the man to talk to here. Um, but I don't keep up with comic books anymore. I mean, right. you know, when DC did the new 52 and, you know, have the, all these things, I go, I can't keep up anymore. I just accept that they're just going to keep retconning and rewriting but i mean that's been the nature of comic books since i got into them when i was a kid mm-hmm. was 
and that was pre obviously a hugely pre-internet and stuff the only thing i had was the um the marvel guide to the marvel universe was the only way or like a a relative kind of guide was the only way i could catch up and some worked well as standalone but i mean obviously there were massive arcs in those time periods that it made it hard and i i I mean, I don't think comics and the films are the same thing, but I mean, you know, you can talk about all these things and uh, whether it's, you know, we're talking about like horror movies and comic books, but they all come back to the same kind of thing, which is um, huge fan bases of both the original properties or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And then you yeah, have people who want something new or want to come in. It's like finding the perfect median is what I think makes it incredibly difficult. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Now, and why there's so much, you know, man, debate and dissent. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the whole thing. I mean, when you look at, like I said, kind of start winding this up, like, I, I think the reason we have good remakes, like, I would argue that Nolan's Batman films are an example of a good remake, is it takes a different approach to examining a property that resonates with the filmmaker. Like, Christopher Nolan was very much interested in a, well, let me examine what it would be like for this in if it was set in a real-world setting. Mm-hmm. When Matthew Vaughn took over the X-Men movies after Brian Singer was done with them, he's like, well, I want to examine Professor Xavier and he what he was like as a young man and what would have led him towards making a group like this in the first place. Right. You know, and when you look at uh, the flights, uh, you know, Cronenberg is looking at Jeff Goldblum's character and it's like, well, what would drive someone towards experimenting on themselves in the first place? Because, you know, he was very much into that sort of topic overall, you know, and what ends up happening is when one of these hits everybody else kind of scrambles and tries to like reinvent find out what yeah what, what caused fire yeah right. you know so i mean while i think this is easily a topic we could probably go on at length about i think that would be like my kind of uh two cents on what makes a good remake versus a bad one i just wanted to say just because it's a really present topic since it's being discussed is actually when people ask me about my favorite comic book movie let's say the last 10 15 years i always say the same one unbreakable mm. yeah it's a great movie and people go it has it has aged well it has aged well it's still good and i go and it's very original in fact i'd say it's his best film and um you know it's obviously it was a patent oddball right now that's talking about the sequel yeah uh, uh, it's, it's it, a movie that shouldn't have a sequel and it shouldn't have a sequel and that's and there it lends credence to this this ideal that we're talking about or you know really feeds the discussion is what happens is dollar signs appear in eyes even though that film was not hugely successful but because it could probably be made cheaply like another sequel and um, could have good dividends down the lines, both rental and overseas sales and stuff. People just go, well, we can make it, but we're just going to keep. And the more they try to do that and stuff, people are love their characters, love their storylines. Um, this is why soap operas and serials and comic books and all these things stay alive. This is why it's so popular. But I think you need to know either when enough is enough or as victor put it way better is when it's time to reinvent i mean truly reinvent and find a personal connection to it either from the writer director whatever it may be but even really finding a place where the fans can come in and go i i find something here i like even if i don't like everything and that's the the communal experience we share with this this property or this character whatever it is and that's when I think people go, you know, start coming up with their own original ideas. It's not because they're based into that character, but because the idea of it, the creativity behind it is what fuels their own creations. True. Oh, and then me? What? Hi. Yeah. No, I, you know, I, I, I keep going back and thinking that it's, I, I, I used to really dread the thought of a reboot or a remake. I think Dawn of the Dead was the first one that really just was like, why, why, why? Because Dawn of the Dead is like is my most favorite, 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 especially of the, the Romero films. Um, but, you know, I ended up liking it, and I, I just feel like I can't have cynicism when they when they do a remake you know if you hear about them doing you know escape from new york and you know i want to see these movies now even though like robocop i was really not excited to see i saw it and i didn't really think it was all that bad 
But I always have to remember, for as much that people bitch and moan about this and that being made, or even when it's out, or how bad it is, we always have the original film. We have the one that we always love. So they can't take that away from you. Yeah. There's reasons why you love it, or there's a reason why you don't like the new one, or maybe you like the new one better than the old one. It's like, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I like The Dark Knight a lot. I also like Batman Returns a lot. You know, they're both a second movie in their franchise. Yeah. You know? So, I mean... Ultimately- that's the best way you can say everything, by the way, is that it'll always be there. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much the best thing uh, that you can ever say. It's like, it's not violated, it's not destroyed, because it's always there. Right. So, I mean, that's... Because that's the hardest part, I think, in a lot of discussions, to have a real good... Yeah, and I think Discourse. a lot of times that comes from the idea that somehow um, there would there would be a hope of a sequel. I mean, one day we can talk about horror fans and their unnatural love of franchises sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I mean, most horror fans like the idea of never end, like a never ending series of movies that are all connected by a continuity, no matter how bad the movies are, as right. long as it doesn't invalidate anything. <laughs> which, speaking of which, as it is St. Patrick's Day. I recommend going out and watching Leprechaun 4, Leprechaun in Space. <laughs> I would say Leprechaun in the Hood. Yes, and Leprechaun in the Hood, too. But, I mean, definitely. Well, get- see, and that's see, that was one of those interesting ones because that was a sequel, you know, it's a sequel. Then that sequel got a sequel. That's true. <laughs> Back to, numerically to, yeah, to right. the Hood, yep. which is, yes, also a classic. Um, but, yeah, those are, I mean, and that, that is true, and we definitely will get around to that, or hopefully maybe at one of our, our next Comic-Con panels. Oh, yeah, I'm sure we'll probably have something interesting in store for a future Comic-Con appearance. But, yeah, that's our chat this week on remakes. What do we like about them? What don't we like? What were the good ones? And I hope you liked our intro segment as well, because we love movies as much as you guys love movies. And... We've got some more awesome cult following podcasts on the way. I think we're going to do one on movie soundtracks soon since Record Store Day is coming up. And if you check us out on our live events as cult classics, we're going to do Purple Rain on April 18th. Tickets for that are on sale now at Dearly Beloved brownpapertickets.com or cultclassicsaz.com and sure pretty soon at Zia Records um, we want to thank our friend John Mapes again for the awesome awesome score that you're probably listening to over my voice right now or earlier on or both um, and as always you can check us out online at cultfollowing.co you can find us at cultclassicsaz.com and you can always find our podcast Cult Following on iTunes and on SoundCloud, the cloud that sounds like SoundCloud. And uh, as always, don't eat after midnight, after midnight, and stay dry. Anything else, you guys? Bye. Bye bye.